yesterday, today, and forever. And that's what we sang about this morning. And it's going to be a beautiful, wonderful day in God's house. And we're all praying for the Rams today to win the Super Bowl. Any, any Rams fans this morning? Bengals fans? How many of you are like, I do not care at all? Anybody like that? All right. Rakia, thank you. It's going to be a great day worshiping the Lord together. Is anybody excited about diving into God's Word today? All right, I'm glad that got the loudest applause and not the Super Bowl. You can go ahead and find a seat this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37 today is where we're going to be. And last week we started a brand new collection of messages that we're calling Out of Control. And we're studying the life of Joseph. And if anyone's life would have seemed out of control, it was the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, but we're learning in this series that even when things in our lives seem out of control, that our God is still on the throne and that he is always in control and uh, that he is sovereign and that his uh, providential hand is working. And so uh, today we're going to be in Genesis 37 and we're going to start reading in verse number 18. And if you don't have a Bible today, there should be a Bible on the seat back in front of you, the Bible uh, the verses should be on the screens as well today. Verse number 18, the Bible says this. And when they saw him afar off, when they saw Joseph, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. We'll see. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph of, out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject, when life hurts, when life hurts. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this morning that you've given us. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and to worship you in this room today. God, thank you for those that are tuning in online. Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes, we will be able to focus in on your word and that we can find great practical instruction and encouragement in our time together. God, thank you that when life hurts and when we're walking through the fires and storms of life, that you are with us. Thank you for the truths of each song that we sang today about uh, the unchanging nature of who you are. You are the same God yesterday, today, 
and forever. And Lord, I pray that we can find great encouragement and exhortation in our time together. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today, how many of you would say that you have a high pain tolerance? Anybody like that? A high pain tolerance. I would like to think that I have a high pain tolerance, but sometimes I'm not so sure. Uh, The other day, uh, Katie and I uh, were together and I dropped my phone and I dropped my phone and I heard that something cracked and that is one of the worst feelings that you can have, right? And I I reached out, I picked up my phone and thankfully just the screen protector uh, cracked and it was one of those glass uh, screen screen protectors. And so I went to wipe off uh, the shattered glass that was on my phone and I went to wipe it and I got a piece of glass stuck in my finger, and uh, it was extremely painful, and uh, every, every little thing that I did was bothering my finger. If I went to turn the page in a book, I would say, ow, and it would hurt my finger, and if I was pick, picking something up, it would hurt my feeder, uh, finger, and, and Katie thought that I was exaggerating, <laughs> but when you have a dagger of glass within you, that is not a joking matter, right, and uh, uh, by the way, it's still in my finger. You can still see it. It's still in the, yes, it's still in there today. The Apostle Paul talked about the thorn in the flesh, and now I know exactly what he was talking about. I bear it with me on a daily basis. Uh, but the truth is, in life, by the way, thank you so much for feeling for my pain this morning. It means so much to me. The truth is today that pain in life, it's inevitable. We're all going to experience pain. We're going to experience hurt. No matter how hard you try to avoid it, no matter how hard you try to get around it, all of us are going to experience hurt and pain. As a father, I don't like it when my children are in pain. And when I see my children hurting, when I see them in pain, it always uh, breaks my heart. Uh, This past Christmas season, we were invited to some friend's house uh, for a Christmas party, and some other families were there. And in the back of their uh, backyard, they had a zip line and uh, for the kids. And so all the kids that were there, they were kind of doing this zip line. It was a pretty sizable zip line. It was pretty high up. And uh, we went out there, and all of our kids were trying the zip line, and uh, they were having a lot of fun. And so we kind of let them play. The adults went inside. And uh, about an hour into that Christmas party, we heard a loud scream, followed with all the children running inside. And my son, Luke, was in the middle of all of them, and his face was just pouring blood from his face. And immediately, Kate and I, we took him into the bathroom. We were trying to assess the situation. And thankfully, uh, he was okay. Thankfully, he didn't need any stitches. But he cut his lip and his tongue and bit his tongue, and his nose was bleeding. And uh, uh, I hated seeing him in that moment. As a father, I don't like it when my children are hurting. Can I tell you that God, as a loving heavenly father, feels the exact same way about his children? That God wants to provide for us comfort and healing when we are hurting. And I love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 3. Uh, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Everybody say all comfort. All comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, our comfort, also abounds by Christ. I'm so thankful today that when we are hurting and that when we are walking through the fire and we are going through a difficult season in life, our God is there to comfort us. Why? Because He is the God of all comfort. And even though suffering, Sufferings may abound. Our consolation abounds in Christ. Our comfort abounds in Christ. God wants to be there and wants to comfort us when we're hurting. And this is good because we live in a world today filled with hurting and broken people. You don't have to look hard uh, to find someone today that's hurting. You don't have to look far and hard in this room today to find people that are hurting. We live in a country of broken people and hurting people. and, And the statistics don't even alarm us anymore. 
according to the World Health Organization, the fourth leading cause of death in the United States between 15 and 29-year-olds is suicide. 10% of all adults in the United States suffer from some sort of depressive illness. We're living in a world filled with hurting and broken people. But here's the good news. Anybody ready for some good news? That's exactly why Jesus came. When Jesus came and he went and preached his first ever sermon, he went to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and he opened up the scroll to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, and this is what uh, Jesus preached. For the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I'm thankful that Jesus always made his way to the sick people, always made his way to the hurting people always went to the hospitals, always went to where the hurting people were. Your infirmity today does not scare Jesus away. It invites him in. And so when we are hurting, when we are broken, we can find comfort in the word of God. We can find comfort in our relationship with God. But here's the question that I want us to consider for a moment this morning. What is your default response when life hurts? When you're hurting, when you're experiencing some pain and some difficulty, what is your default response? Do you get angry? Do you get upset with God and kind of point your finger back at God and why is this happening to me? Do you get quiet and kind of just shut down and shut everybody out? You don't want to talk to anyone? Do you get bitter within? Do you get stagnant? What, what is your default response to when life hurts? Because I believe today through Genesis 37, through this story where, where Joseph is about to experience some great pain and great hurt, that we can learn some principles uh, that can help us respond the right way when life hurts. Now, Joseph was about to experience some great hurt on every level. He was about to be hurt relationally. He was going to be hurt physically. He was going to be hurt spiritually. This was going to be a painful moment in his life. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, Joseph was a 17-year-old. He was a young man that had a dream from God. God, God gave him a dream. It was a dream uh, that, that revealed to Joseph that God had big plans for him. And because God had big plans for Joseph, his brothers were envious of him. His brothers hated him. And his father sent Joseph to go and check up on his brothers who were feeding the flocks in Shechem. And Joseph goes all the way to Shechem. They're not there. Someone finds him and says, hey, they actually went on to another city 12 miles further called Dothan. And so Joseph is going to the city called called Dothan to find his brothers. When Joseph arrives in Dothan to find his brothers, his life would dramatically change forever. And the hurt that Joseph feels in this moment would reverberate for the next 13 years of his life. This is a pivotal moment in the life of Joseph when life is hurting. And so today, let me look, uh, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 37, and let me give you uh, four principles to remember when life hurts. Everybody ready this morning? Four principles to remember when life hurts. Number one is this. Obedience does not guarantee a life of ease. Obedience does not guarantee a life of ease. Now, let's pick it up in verse number 17 to get a little bit of context, all right? Everybody with me? Verse 17. And the man said, this is an unnamed man uh, that Joseph found in Shechem, and he's looking for his brothers. And the man said, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. What I want you to see right from the outset of this text today is what Joseph was doing was in response to what his dad told him to do. In other words, what Joseph is doing is simply obeying his father. What we find Joseph doing in Genesis 37, verse 17 and 18, what we find him doing is walking in obedience. 
And even though he's walking in obedience, he's not met with a blessing. He's met with a burden. Rather than welcoming Joseph, his brothers reject him. And so here's Joseph doing what he's supposed to be doing, and he's met with rejection. What happens in life when we're walking in obedience, doing what God has called us to do, and we're not met with blessing, we're met with burdens? Because this is hard for us to understand. When we step out and we follow God and we're walking in obedience, we expect a blessing. We expect life to be comfortable, life to be easy. But what happens when when we step out by faith, when we're walking in obedience, and we're not met with a blessing, we're met with a burden? What happens when you give and tithe to God on Sunday, and you get a flat tire on Monday? What happens when you show up early to serve in church, and you're happy to be serving, and you're happy to be there early, and then someone's mean to you, someone gives you a dirty look? What happens when you're faithfully obeying God, and you invite your neighbor to church, and you invite them to come in, and then they're mean to you, and they reject that invitation? Please hear me. I think this is so, I believe this is so vitally important for us to understand today. We do not serve and worship God and we do not obey in order to get something in return. We obey and serve and worship God because we love God, because the love of God constrains us. And the only proper motivation to obey is not to get some sort of transactional return from God. The only proper motivation to serve is that I love him and that I'm so grateful for all that he's done for me. And so I'm going to give my life as a reasonable service back to him. But just because you're walking in obedience does not mean that life is going to be easy. Obedience does not guarantee ease. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what's the proper motivation for keeping God's commandments, for walking in obedience? If we love him. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Can I remind someone today, it's always worth it to obey God. It's always worth it in the end. Hey, blessed are you when men shall persecute you for my name's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. It's always worth it to serve and obey God. Now, I want you to see, as Joseph is walking in obedience, what's going to take place with his brothers? Let's, let's pick it up in verse 18. I want you to notice the contemplation of his brothers. The contemplation. Verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired. Everybody say conspired. conspired. They conspired against him to slay him. And so long before Joseph even arrived, his brothers were conspiring against him. Long before Joseph even got there, they were thinking about what they wanted to do to him. And so you know the story. When Joseph's brothers essentially uh, sell him into slavery, when they throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery, uh, when they wanted to hurt him, this is not just something they decided to do spur of the moment. This was something that they were thinking about. Long before there was wrong behavior, there was a wrong thought pattern. They, they conspired against him. They saw him. They, I can't stand Joseph. I can't stand that coat. I can't stand that he's coming to check up on us. And they were thinking about this, and they conspired uh, together. This was a premeditated and calculated decision that they thought about. You know, our thoughts are so important. Mark Twain said this. He said, what a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head. And is known for none but himself. All day long, the middle of his brain is grinding in his thoughts. Not those other things are his history. See, it's our thoughts that will eventually become actions. And your actions will eventually create your 
destiny. You know, back in the 1990s, Apple had this famous slogan, think different. How many of you remember seeing this slogan from Apple computer? Think different, anybody? Okay, well, you're just gonna have to trust me then. Okay, that's what the slogan was, think uh, different. And uh, many people thought that the reason Apple came up with this slogan was in response to IBM's slogan, which is still the same slogan that they use today, and it's just think. And so IBM had this slogan, think. Apple came along and said, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to think, but we're going to think differently. Yeah, we're going to think, but we're going to think in a different way. Can I tell you, as a follower of Jesus, you've been called to think differently. Not as the world thinks, not as the culture thinks, not as everyone around us thinks, but as God in his word commands us to think because we are commanded to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can I encourage you today to think differently than the world? How is your thought life today? How is the battle that is raging in your mind? Long before the brothers made this decisive and regrettable action, they thought on it. It it was their contemplation. They were thinking on this. This is why the Bible says in Romans 12, verse number 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so if you can't learn to control your thoughts, you will never be able to control your behavior. And so they thought on this, and so we see the, uh, the contemplation of the brothers, but I want you to see the criticism of the brothers. Now let's pick it up in verse 19. It says this, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Now obviously this was derogatory. Uh, This was This was a criticism. This was mocking and belittling Joseph. Okay, here comes the dreamer. He's going to tell us more about his dreams. And so they started to criticize. Notice verse number 20. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Did you notice that ending phrase? We'll see what happens. We'll we'll see what will become of his dreams. We shall see. See, Joseph's dreams were not just simply youthful imaginations. Joseph's dreams were God's plans for his life. And so in other words, they were not just questioning Joseph. They were questioning God's plan. We'll see if this will come to pass. We'll see if God's word comes to pass for Joseph. We'll see what will happen of his dreams. And I don't know who needs to hear it today, but can I tell you that God's word will always come to pass. His word will always come to fruition. The Bible says this in Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 14. I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass, and I will do it, and I will not go back. Neither will I spare, neither will I repent. According to thy ways, according to thy doing, shall they judge thee, saith the Lord God. I want you to know today that the word of God will not return void, and his word will always come to pass. And so even when we're nervous about what's taking place around us, and even though it might seem like the culture is winning and the government is winning and things are getting out of control, that the word of our God will stand, that his word is settled forever in heaven, and that his word will always come to pass. And so when the brothers say to Joseph, we'll see what will happen. By the way, that's the mindset of so many. Yeah, we'll see. You you believe in an eternal heaven? We'll see. We'll see what will come to pass. And so they mocked Joseph, and they were were criticizing uh, what Joseph was believing in. So we see, first of all, today, obedience doesn't guarantee a life of ease. But there's a second thought today. You ready for number two? Spiritual indifference must be rejected. Now, when life is hurting, we have to remember that obedience doesn't guarantee ease, but we also have to recognize that spiritual indifference must be rejected. You know, the biggest problem that the brothers had was not that they were insensitive to Joseph. 
it was that they were indifferent towards Joseph, that they stopped caring. They stopped caring about Joseph a long time ago. Now, I want you to see two things here. First, they were compromising. All right, let's pick it up in verse 21. And Reuben heard it. Reuben was the oldest. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. So Reuben has an idea, and he says, hey, uh, maybe, we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't kill Joseph. Uh, let's, uh, let's just throw him into a pit. Verse 22, and Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So, so what I want you to see here is that Reuben came up with this compromise. He said, maybe we shouldn't kill him, guys. Maybe we shouldn't do that. We don't want the blood uh, of Joseph on our hands. Uh, instead of killing Joseph, let's just throw him into a pit. Uh, now, Reuben was not a man of conviction. He might have had in this moment a little bit of compassion for Joseph, but he was not a man of, com uh, of conviction. This was a compromise. Now, if you study scripture, uh, you'll notice that there's some side commentaries about uh, Jacob's oldest son, Reuben. And uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 5 gives us this little side commentary. Is it okay if we go a little bit deeper this morning? Is everybody still with me? 1 Chronicles 5.1. Now, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel... Okay, Israel, that was uh, the name that God gave Jacob, right, the, the victorious one. And so the firstborn of Jacob or Israel was Reuben, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, uh, of the son of Israel. And so in other words, Reuben was the rightful recipient of the family inheritance, but because he defiled his father's bed, uh, because he fell into deep sexual immoral sin and did something terribly wicked in the eyes of God, that birthright was not given to Reuben, it was given to Joseph. And so if anyone could have been extra upset at Joseph, if anyone could have had an extra axe to grind with Joseph, it was Reuben because Joseph was the recipient now of the family inheritance that belonged initially to Reuben. And so Reuben was a man that was kind of faltering back and forth all the time. He was vacillating between good and, and, and between evil. And we know this because later on his father, even Jacob, says this about Reuben, the oldest. In Genesis 49, verse 4, he says this, speaking of Reuben, Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. What an interesting statement, right? Did you catch it? He said, let me tell you about my son Reuben. He's the oldest. He's unstable as water. Constantly back and forth, constantly compromising. One day he's up, one day he's down. Unstable as water, and thou shalt not excel. See, a lack of stability will always lead to a lack of success. When you can't be stable and just keep on going forward and being consistent in the plan that God has for you, there's always going to be a lack of success. This was Reuben. Reuben was not a man of conviction. He was a man of compromise. He said, you know what? I don't think we should kill Joseph. I don't know. And you could see the flesh and the spirit. And I don't know if we should do that to Joseph. Let's just throw him into a pit. He was a half-hearted man willing to compromise. I want to encourage you today. This is why the Bible says in the New Testament, neither give place to the devil. Don't even give him a little bit. Uh, don't say, well, it's not that bad. I'm not going to uh, do uh, as bad as my brothers are doing. No, uh, there was a little bit of compromise in Reuben's life. He was half-hearted. But not only was there a little bit of compromise that we see, I want you to see, second, that not only were they compromising, they were calloused. Okay, everybody with me? Notice verse 23. And it came to pass... When Joseph was coming to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And so they hated that coat. That coat was a privilege of, of status and privilege, and, and uh, it, it was a symbol that he didn't have to work as hard as they did. And so they hated that coat. They stripped it off him. Verse 24, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. 
And so this pit was a cistern, and uh, these water cisterns would have typically been very deep with a very narrow opening, and so it would be uh, impossible for you to climb up out of that cistern. The Bible says that there was no water in it. In fact, uh, there's a story in the book of Jeremiah where uh, King Zedekiah was so uh, upset at the prophet Jeremiah that he allowed him to be thrown into a cistern. And you might recall the story in Jeremiah where Jeremiah goes down to the bottom of a cistern and the Bible says that there was mud surrounding him. He was just stuck in the cold and the darkness and the muddy situation. And one of Jeremiah's friends found out about this and he went to King Zedekiah and said, you made a grave, grave mistake. You better go and let Jeremiah out of that cistern. And so King Zedekiah listens and they went and the Bible says that they took uh, uh, clothing articles and garments, and they tied them together to make a rope, and they lowered that down into the cistern where Jeremiah was, and they pulled Jeremiah up out of that cistern. And so when Joseph's brothers threw him into this cistern, uh, they full well knew that Joseph was never getting out of there unless someone intentionally put a rope in and got him out. They threw him into the cistern, leaving him for dead. This was a painful, hurtful moment, but I want you to see the most shocking part of what they did. Notice verse 25. And they sat down to eat bread. They sat down to eat bread. It's incredible that right after they throw their brother to die in a cistern, a cold, dark, muddy cistern, they sat down to eat lunch. Now, what's even more remarkable about, what's even more remarkable about this is later on, Joseph's brothers say this in Genesis 42, verse 21, and they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. This is later on at the, towards the end of their lives when they realize, man, we did something terrible. Uh, we are guilty concerning our brother. In that we saw, watch this, we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us? And that sheds a little insight as to what was taking place when the brothers threw Joseph into the cistern. That meant when they threw Joseph into the cistern, Joseph was crying out for help. Please don't leave me here. Come back. Don't leave me in here to die. Please come back. He was crying out for their help. And even when Joseph was crying out for their help, what did the brothers do? They sat down to grab a bite to eat. This is a picture of a calloused heart. Now, you might not think, well, I would never do that. I wouldn't have a callous heart like that. We have to be very careful because the Bible talks about in the New Testament something called the seared conscience. That when we are so insensitive to sin that we don't even feel that conviction anymore. When you come to a place in life when the messages that used to bring conviction, you no longer feel that conviction anymore. When you come to a place in life when you used to uh, feel the Holy Spirit kind of tugging on you to move forward, to respond, to give, to serve, and you no longer feel it. When you used to be moved towards compassion toward your neighbors and pray that they would get saved, and now you haven't prayed in a long time. The Bible says be very careful when you become insensitive to sin. Here's the brothers, a calloused heart, a seared conscience. You know, in my household, we have a lot of Play-Doh. I think I have some with me today. And uh, we have a lot of Play-Doh with our kids. And uh, thank you, Daniel, for just having some Play-Doh ready today. He always has it on him. And, uh, you know, everybody knows what happens to Play-Doh when you leave it out. What happens? It becomes very hard, right? And um, it's unmoldable. It's unshapeable. And what God wants us to be is vessels that are moldable and shapeable so he can shape us and use us to accomplish the will that he has for us. And the Bible says this in Isaiah 64, verse number 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay. 
and thou are potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. I wonder today, are you moldable? Are you allowing God to shape you and use you? Are you being sensitive to what God wants you to do? Are you still sensitive to sin? When you still fall into sin, are you still quick to repent and make it right with the Lord? Are you still moldable and shapeable? Or have you started to develop a seared conscience, a calloused heart, a hard heart? Because it's so tragic in this narrative. When Joseph was at his lowest moment, literally in a pit, he was hurting, crying out. His brothers had a calloused heart. They no longer even cared. And when you're hurting, spiritual indifference, that kind of apathy must be rejected. What did Jesus say to the church at Laodicea in Revelation? Jesus said, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you're just kind of apathetic and no longer caring anymore. And this is what we see in the life of Joseph. Now, let's pick it up in verse number 25. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites uh, came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And uh, this was a popular caravan route that they would bring uh, all these things through Dothan into uh, Egypt. Verse 26, and Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and, not, and let our uh, hand not be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. And so uh, now, which by the way, it's interesting, Reuben, a man of half-hearted conviction, was not even there when Judah was saying this. And so Judah says, hey, uh, rather than killing him, rather than just leaving him in, in this pit, we might as well make some money off of Joseph and let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Notice verse 28. Then they're passed by Midianites, uh, merchantmen. Now, uh, you'll, you'll see that Ishmaelites and Midianites kind of used interchangeably. This was essentially the same group. Judges chapter 8, verse 24 says, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, for they had golden earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. And if you read in context there, it's talking about the Midianites. And I just say that in case you're wondering, well, who was it, the Ishmaelites or the Midianites? It was both of them, okay? Now, verse 29. They sold him. Well, at the end of verse number 28, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. That was the price of a disabled slave in this time. And so they were basically showing what Joseph was worth to them, less than a disabled slave. 20 pieces of silver, verse 29, and Reuben returned into the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, he wasn't there, and he returned into his brother and said, the child is not, and and I, whither shall I go? Reuben's thinking, what am I going to do now? I've already lost the inheritance, dad is going to hate me all the more. And this leads us to our third thought today, number three is this, you can't heal from what you choose to conceal. You will never be able to heal from what you choose to conceal. Now, in these closing few verses, Joseph's brothers are going to try to cover up their sin. And they're going to try to conceal and hide their sin. And uh, several years ago, uh, my son Luke, I was trying to get him to do something, and I was trying to get him to obey, and he wasn't listening, and he ran up the stairs, and he was trying to hide from me. And I thought it was funny because he went upstairs and he hid in our guest room underneath a chair. And I have a picture this morning of Luke hiding under that chair. <laughs> the only problem, it was a see-through chair, right? And uh, Luke was in there hiding. He thought that I could not see him, and I, I kind of played along with it for a second. Luke, where are you? And uh, the whole time, I could see right where he was. You know, so often we cannot move forward in the calling that God has for us because we are too busy hiding. We're either hiding our sin, hiding our pain, and we're hiding when God wants us to experience healing. I want you to know today that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. And what's going to happen next is the brothers are going to try to cover up 
uh, this sin. Do you have a few more minutes in you today? The brothers are going to try to cover this up. And I want you to notice two things. First, I want you to see how Jacob was deceived. Notice verse number 31. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This is what we have found. Uh, know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. So they, so they uh, dipped the coat into uh, some blood that they uh, killed the goat, and they were going to send it back to the father. And they said, Is this Joseph's coat? Verse 33. And he knew it, and he said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And he kind of just jumped to conclusions there. Without a doubt, Joseph was killed uh, by an animal. He was torn into pieces. Verse 34, and Jacob rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Here's what I want you to see here. Jacob was deceived by his sons in this moment. Isn't it interesting that Jacob was deceived when you consider the history of Jacob's life? Remember what Jacob's name means? The deceiver. Early on in Jacob's life, he sowed some seeds of deception. And here, later on in his life, what's happening? He's reaping those seeds that he, he sowed. And I think it's interesting the similarities between when Jacob deceived his father and here when Jacob's sons deceive him. In fact, put it up on the screen. Jacob lied to his father. Uh, he lied to his father Isaac about uh, his favorite son Esau. He used the coat of his father's aid to help in the deception. He killed goats in order to accomplish the deception. Now, what did his sons do? Next slide. Jacob's sons, they lied to their father. They lied to their father uh, about their father's favorite son, Joseph. They used the coat to aid in the deception, and they killed the goat to accomplish the deception. Can I tell you today, be sure your sins will find you out. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. Every one of us today are sowing seeds, and we will reap a harvest from those seeds. Every thought, every action, every deed is a seed that you are planting for a future reaping. And so be very careful about the seeds that you sow today. If you want to experience a, a harvest of godliness tomorrow, then sow the seeds of godliness today. And so Jacob was deceived. But I want you to see also, everybody with me still? Not only was Jacob deceived, his sons were deceived. The brothers were deceived because notice it in verse 35. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. The height of hypocrisy. The height of being a fraudulent person. They knew what they did and they said, Dad, let me comfort you. But he refused to be comforted and said, For I will go down into the grave until my, uh, unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. But the brothers were deceived because in this moment... Please hear me. In this moment, they thought they got away with it. In this moment, I can just kind of imagine them looking at each other like, okay, we're in the clear. You know, what's interesting about covering up sin is cover-ups bring about a deceptive calm. When you can cover your sin and there's a deceptive calm, like, okay, things are okay. I thought this was going to be bad, but I kind of covered my tracks a little bit, and everything's okay. I didn't hurt anybody else. Nobody else knows. I can move forward. I won't go back to it. I won't do it again, and I covered it up. But cover-ups bring a deceptive calm because the Bible says this in Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You will never heal from what you choose to conceal. That's why Augustine said this, the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. There might be some of us today that need to get right with God and say, you know what, I'm going to confess this, I'm going to repent of this, I'm going to make a 180 and get back on track for the glory of God. 
And so you can't heal from what you choose to conceal. And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today, uh, and it's this. The hand of God moves with divine orchestration. The hand of God moves with divine orchestration. Now, notice verse number 36. The last verse of chapter 37. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. So Joseph gets sold into Egypt. Now, just a few, few more minutes today, but hear me out. Joseph gets sold into Egypt. What's the significance of this? Well, what is the significance of Joseph going to Egypt? Well, years before, years earlier, all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. How many of you remember the Abrahamic covenant? All the way back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, it's confirmed. And in that moment, God told Abraham something interesting. He said this in Genesis 15, 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs. Abraham, there's a generation coming after you, and they're going to be strangers in a land that's not theirs. And shall serve them. They're going to be in bondage serving that nation, Abraham. And they shall afflict them in a hurting, painful season of 400 years. And also that nation whom they serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. Well, what is God talking about? He's talking about the bondage of the Israelites in Egypt for 400 years. He says it's going to be a painful 400 years, Abraham. Your seed is going to be under bondage of this nation. But afterwards, there's going to be great substance. Afterwards, there's going to be great uh, blessing that will come to your nation, Abraham. How is all of this going to come to fruition? This promise that God made to Abraham, Abraham was thinking, how, what, what do you mean we're going to be in bondage for 400 years? And how is God going to orchestrate all these details? Well, God would use a father who had a favorite son, who gave him a coat of many colors. God would use the hatred of the brothers to that favorite son. God would use one of the brothers' idea to go feed the flocks in Shechem. Uh, God would use an unnamed man in Shechem who saw Joseph and pointed Joseph ahead to Dothan. God would use the oldest son, Reuben, that said, maybe we shouldn't kill him. God would use another brother, Judah, to say, hey, maybe we should sell him into slavery. That eventually led him to Egypt. Every detail might have seemed insignificant. Every detail might have seemed confusing. But God's sovereign hand was orchestrating every detail of this narrative. Can I tell you today that life might, might not always make sense, and sometimes life is hurting, but I want you to know that our God is the divine orchestrator of life. He's the divine choreographer of life. He is orchestrating every single detail and now God brings it to fruition and Joseph arrives in Egypt right where God needed him to be so that he could save a nation so that he could save his people every event leading up to this moment where Joseph gets to Egypt was painful every single moment was filled with hurt but God was orchestrating every single step because he's always in control even when life seems out of control. He was orchestrating every detail. You know, I think Joseph was able to move forward through all of this, even in this hurtful season, because the Bible says in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, verse number 9, and the patriarchs moved with envy. They sold Joseph into Egypt. I love this phrase, but God was with him. 
and delivered him out of all his afflictions. You know who was with Joseph in the pit that day? God. You know who was with Joseph when he was hurting and he was crying out to the brothers, please don't leave me. Don't leave me to die. You know who was with him? God. God was with him. I wonder today, can the same be said about your life? Is God with you? Now, I believe in the all-pervading presence of God. I believe that, 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 that God is omnipresent, that God is always everywhere. But today I'm wondering, is he within you? Do you have a real relationship with God? Not just do you know about God, not just uh, you've read some things about God, but do you have a real relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Because Joseph had God with him. He was able to withstand the hurt that he experienced. And I believe today that we do have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I believe we do have the comfort of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But today, if you don't know that, I would encourage you in a moment, you can give your life to Christ and you can invite him in and you can be saved. You know, if you've ever watched uh, the Food Network, you might've seen and heard of Anthony Bourdain. And several years ago, tragically, he ended his life. And before he ended his life, he had a, an interview two years before in 2018. And in the interview, he said this, the, the celebrity chef, he talked about this. He talked about his tattoos and they were kind of uh, having conversation about the tattoos that he had. And he has a tattoo, he had a tattoo on his arm that said, I am certain of nothing. And he talked about that in the interview and he said, he said, you know, I'm pretty sure cheese and sausage are good. Other than that, it's a world of confusion and uncertainty. And he had tattooed on his arm, I am certain of nothing. And I came today to plead with some of you to recognize that there are some things in life that you can be certain of. There's certain things in life that I don't know, above my pay grade, I'm trusting God. Even when things are out of control, he's in control, I'm gonna trust him. But there are certain things in life that you can know, that you can be assured of, namely, the salvation of your soul. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to guess that you have a home in heaven. You don't have to guess that you have a relationship with God. You can know that you have a relationship with God. You can know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. There's all kinds of things in life that you might be confused by. There's all kinds of things that you might be uncertain of. But I want you to know today that you can leave this room and you can leave this online service knowing that you have a relationship with God. You're not going to have every question answered. You're not going to have every doubt resolved. But you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I die today, I could spend eternity in heaven forever. Why? Because God is within me, just like he was with Joseph. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.